Well, here we are. It's Easter Sunday. It's the day of the entire Christian year, right? Celebrating the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. Y'all, this is the event that makes or breaks everything we believe. Admittedly, there are a lot of things about Christianity that give folks pause that are a little hard to believe. So we're celebrating the resurrection. That that means we're also in the season where we have thought about and remembered uh, and rejoiced in even the the crucifixion of our Lord. Um, In and of itself, that's got some claims to it that's hard for some folks to swallow. Uh, Some things that folks really stumble over. That, that God the Father would wound and crush His Son so that His wrath might be satisfied, wrath that, that, that mankind, that, that me and you justly deserved and earned because of our rebellion. That's difficult. Folks struggle Believing that, believing that a God of love could also be a God of wrath. And then, as if to add insult to injury, on top of that, we have this claim that once he did die, he didn't stay dead. But he came back. Miraculously. And so very likely this morning, I know that we've got folks, uh, as far as your beliefs are concerned, you're, you're, you're on a big continuum. You're on a big spectrum, I'm sure. And hopefully there are some here this morning who find this resurrection thing totally implausible, right? You, you just cannot believe it. It just contradicts all rational and scientific thought as you understand it. And so there's just no way. I hope there are some of you here this morning. I'm, I'm sure there are others of you who are a little bit further down that spectrum, and, and you're just not quite as sure one way or the other. If you're honest, it, it does strike you a little odd. Somebody who was dead wouldn't be any longer. A little bit unbelievable. And maybe you're looking for some middle ground. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't a, a, a bodily resurrection, but maybe it's, we're supposed to think that, all right, Jesus' teaching and his, and his power, that continues to live on in, in some way. And so you're a bit skeptical. You're, just, you're a bit doubtful. And let me just say, if, if I've described you thus far, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And I do hope that you'll find welcome here, that you'll find that it's, it's a safe place to have questions. It's a safe place to have doubts. You don't have to agree or believe exactly as, as we believe. I'm, I'm sure many others of you, right, you're further down the spectrum yet. You would say, yes, yes, I, I wholeheartedly believe in a, in a literal, in a bodily resurrection, um, it's, you believe it's a historical fact. There's no doubt in your mind. That's good. 
But I hope and pray that some of you are even further down the spectrum than that. What could that be? What could be beyond believing in the resurrection? I I think we're not going to turn there, but I think the Apostle Paul in in his letter to the Philippians in in the third chapter, he's talking about what is beyond that. He's talking about um, everything in his life up to that point is garbage. It's just rubbish. And, And he would give it all away. He would trade it all for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and of knowing the power of his resurrection. So that's what is beyond believing in a historical resurrection is having experienced its power, uh, of experiencing the power of the resurrection day by day. And so so that's ultimately my hope for everybody here, uh, that you would believe in the resurrection, yes, but that you would also experience its power as an everyday reality. We're going to look at this passage from John's Gospel today, John chapter 20. And I trust that by the power of God's Spirit through His Word, He'll move us all closer to that reality. So I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Read verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. May God bless the the hearing, the teaching, the preaching of his inspired, 
inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray for help right now. Oh God, would you come and would you help? Would you take a passage, a topic, a subject that some of us might just yawn because it's too familiar? We've heard it before. Lord, some of us are are brushing it off because it just seems too far-fetched. Lord, for all of us, for everyone here this morning, by the power of your Spirit, would you make your word come alive? And by it, would you do to us and in us all that pleases you? For your glory, for the honor of the risen Christ, do these things we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we're going to work through this passage this morning, and when we do that, we will find, I hope that you will find, a resurrection, number one, that doesn't depend on the quality of your faith, which is encouraging, I think. Number two, we'll find a resurrection that's deeply personal, and number three, we'll find a resurrection that transforms our lives. You've got an outline in your worship folder to help you follow along. So this first one, the resurrection doesn't depend on the quality of your faith. Take comfort in that. In this passage, we find varying degrees of faith. First off, we see Mary, Mary Magdalene. She's the first one to get to the tomb that morning. She sees that it's open and empty, and she runs away. She comes back. She's incredibly upset. And there are two angels there, and they ask her, we've got it uh, on the screen there in verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? And she tells them why she's weeping. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where he is. See, the only possible conclusion Mary can reach in her mind is this is the work of grave robbers, which in the first century was pretty common. It was, it was a capital offense. Resurrection isn't even on her radar that morning. It's not even a possibility for her, but it should be. Y'all, this is Mary Magdalene. She's got some history with Jesus. She had seven demons that Jesus had cast out. Right? She's, she's experienced Jesus' supernatural power already. And she'd been a follower ever since, so I'm sure that she had had opportunity to hear that the Son of Man must die, that he must rise again. But here in this moment, rather than believing, she doubts deeply. Despite all these clues that should have given it away, right, the rolled away stone, the presence of angels, (laughs) They're in the tomb in the place of the body. You know, little things like that. But she doubts. So so there's Mary. But what about John? Verse 8, we see John. We're pretty sure it's John. He always mentions himself as the other disciple, and it just cracks me up. If you read John, all of these little autobiographical inclusions of himself, and even in this chapter, Right? He's the other disciple, but he's the one who outran Peter, right? 
And then he'll remind you a couple of verses later, right? Uh, Peter went in first, and, and then the other disciple who got there first, right? And, and you see that all throughout, and I just think it's hilarious. But John gets there, and he sees the exact same set of evidence that Mary saw, and he believes. Now, what's the point of this? Is it that we should hold John in higher esteem than Mary? No, that's not it at all. The point is this. It's Jesus who makes the difference and not the quality of our faith. It's Jesus who makes the difference. Imagine two brothers each inherited $100,000. And they each decided, all right, we're going to invest it in the stock market. They each picked out a stock. First brother picks stock A, second brother picks stock B. And they are each convinced that they've got a winner. They wholeheartedly believe in the stocks that they've chosen. Five years pass. Stock A has doubled. 200 grand. That's not too shabby. Stock B, the company no longer exists. It went belly up, and second brother has nothing. What made the difference? Was it the amount of faith that each had in their chosen stock? No, of course not. Each believed wholeheartedly. The difference was the stock. The difference is what the money was invested in. That's what made the difference. But let me take that illustration, let me press it just a bit further. Let's say that unbeknownst to the second brother, that first brother, he appeared confident on the outside, but inside he was wringing his hands. He was a nervous Nelly. Many times along the way he said, oh, this is going to be terrible. I've probably flushed this money down the drain. Did that change the outcome? Would he have still had $200,000 in the end? Even if he wrung his hands all the way, even if he struggled with doubt? (laughs) It's not the quality of your faith that's the deciding factor. It's the object of your faith. It's not your faith that makes the difference The Bible says all we need is a a mustard seed. It's the object of our faith that makes the difference. And so in the end, Jesus brings Mary and John to the place that they each need to be. He doesn't abandon Mary because she struggles. He supplies the faith that they both need. So the resurrection depends not on the quality of your faith or mine, 
but on Jesus' worthiness as the object of our faith. Second point, the resurrection is deeply personal. So how does Jesus go about penetrating Mary's doubt? How does he get through to her? Look at verse 15 and 16. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thinks it's the gardener and says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. Now, Jesus at this point, if, see, if I were Jesus, I would have said, <clears throat> right? Maybe even a hello, right? But that's why I'm not Jesus. Um, he calls her by name, Mary. It's this kindness of a shepherd, right? The, the, the shepherd who knows his sheep and whose sheep know him. And so all he had to do was call her name in his voice in, in, in a way that I'm sure he had called her before. And then it clicks. Y'all, what a picture we see here of our salvation, right? When you come to faith in Christ, you may have heard the gospel a hundred times. And those first hundred times was just noise, right? Blah, 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 right? Some of you here this morning, it, it's just noise, Right? We, can, we can possess a head full of knowledge about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We could rattle off facts. We may have even heard a preacher issue a call before saying, repent and believe the gospel. But it's just noise until that moment when Jesus, through His Spirit, gets involved on a personal level. And then these things that you've heard a hundred times before, all of a sudden you hear them as if for the first time. All this evidence from before, this blah, 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 it's now burning inside of you and you cannot rest and you will not rest until you respond to that calling. So the resurrection is, is, is deeply personal. We see, especially with Mary and Jesus, reaching out to her, calling her by name. But it's also deeply personal in that it changes your identity. Look at verse 17. So he tells her, all right, go to my brothers and say to them, now, he's not talking about his biological brothers because if you know the story well, you know that his family thought he was crazy. His family thought he was nuts. Now, if we go on a little bit in verse 18, we see what he must be talking about because it says Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. Oh, that's, that's what he means by brothers. So before the resurrection, they're disciples, but after they're brothers, they've, they've got a new relationship. They've got a new identity that goes along with it because before they were, 
they were failing disciples, they were deserting disciples, they were denying disciples, faltering disciples, and now despite all of that, they're brothers. Go tell my brothers. And they're brothers, you see in verse 17, because they have the same father, right? I'm ascending to my father and to your father. And y'all, that's radical, and, and we miss how radical it is. Jesus got into a lot of trouble for referring to God as Father. Because for for the religious leaders of the day, in their experience, in in their concept, y'all, to call God Father, it was just way way too intimate, way too personal. You just can't do that. But it is the reality that the resurrection creates. Resurrection power creates radically different relationships. We are now Christ's sisters and brothers because we share the same Father. Resurrection is incredibly personal. And thirdly, the resurrection does, in fact, transform our lives. There's a power in the resurrection that is life-changing. Consider Jesus' grave clothes, if you will, verses 5 through 7. Um, Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, what is so important about this? Some pretty nitpicky little descriptions here. What's so important? Well, if you remember the story that happened earlier in John's gospel, John chapter 11, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Right? Calls out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus does, but he's coming like this because he's bound up in his grave cloths. Right? And, and Jesus has to command somebody, hey, unbind him. But Jesus' grave cloths were just lying there, and the face cloth was neatly folded up. So a couple of things we see here. Uh, number one, this can't be grave robbers because that just wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't leave valuable linen cloth lying there behind. That's part of the reason you robbed the grave in the first place is to get all the stuff that's worth anything. And they certainly wouldn't have taken time to fold and tidy up before they left. That doesn't make any sense. But here's the second thing and probably the more important thing. Nobody had to unbind Jesus. Most likely what happened is he just passed right through those grave cloths. Not because he was just a spirit or because he didn't have a body. No, he still got a body. He didn't pass through those grave cloths because He was ethereal, but now his resurrected body in its power is so much more real, so much more present, even than those flimsy little cloths. That's why he passed right through, because he was more real at that point than the grave cloths were. If you know the story, eight days later, the disciples in fear, cowering behind closed and locked doors, And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. 
right, with the requisite, peace be with you, right? Because they were freaked out that Jesus just appeared, right? There's something supernatural about the risen Christ. There is a power here. When Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians in his letter, uh, chapter 1, He's praying for a whole bunch of things. Um, But I love how this captures it uh, in verses 18 through 20. This is mid-prayer, so it just kind of picks up. He's praying that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when? When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, there is supernatural power at work in the resurrection that's now at our disposal. It's available to us. Now, there's another way to see this, this power. There's another way to think about this. Look back at 17 again, verse 17. And, and so, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended. All right? That seems a little odd. What do we do with this? Well, so Jesus has said, Mary. Right? And then it finally clicks for, oh, it's you, Jesus, Rabboni. And I can just imagine this rib-cracking bear hug right, of Mary saying, you know what, I've lost you once, I'm not going to lose you again. And Jesus, in order to get this woman off of him, (laughs) has to help her understand that a change has taken place. A change is taking place in his relationship with his followers, So it's getting very personal, but it's also taking on a whole new dynamic. Jesus will be with Mary forever. She does not have to worry about losing him again. But this permanent abiding with her, with us, is now going to be by means of his spirit. That's why he's got to ascend. That's why he's got to go back to the Father so that the Spirit can come in his place. Um, Also in, in John, John 16, Jesus is telling us all about this, right? He said, I've got to go, right? It's to your advantage that I go, because if I leave, then the helper will come. Then the helper will come, and and he'll convict us of sin. He'll remind us what Jesus has said in his word. He'll change us from the inside out. And so Jesus has to be at the Father's right hand, doing his job, um, which is many things. Romans 8.34 gives you just a little taste of that. Um, that Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, presently, currently, sitting there making intercession, being the go-between between us and the Father. So, so he ascends. He's in heaven doing his job. The Spirit's here residing with us, uniting us to Christ, connecting us to resurrection power. And, and our lives are, are truly 
changed and transformed. So, so friends, my deep desire this morning is that you'll believe in the resurrection. That, that you'll believe no matter how much faith you think you do or don't have. That you'll believe it as he calls your name as he gets personal with you and gives you a new identity and a new relationship and that your believing won't stop with just believing in the resurrection but you will come to a place where you are experiencing day by day resurrection power let's pray oh father it's got to be you through your spirit through your powerful word that any of those things will ever come to pass. And so that's what we cry out for. Oh, Spirit, Spirit of the risen Christ, come now. Come now and help us to hear as if for the very first time things that we've heard a hundred times. Come now and, and, and call our names in ways that we can hear, in ways that are unmistakable, that it's you calling. Oh, Spirit, would you come and would you unite us to Christ and to his resurrection power? Would you grant the prayers that Paul prayed for the Ephesians? Would you grant those for us that we would know the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that we would know it? that we would know it right now, that we would know it tomorrow morning, that we would know it moment by moment, day by day, so that you can change us, so that you can do in us that which pleases you and brings glory to your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you please